a lot of things happening, isn't it? It's great, great. How many of you are ready for the word of the Lord this morning? Amen, amen. I want you to go ahead and turn to Matthew's gospel, chapter number one. And we're going to start reading in verse 18 down to verse number 25. Uh, go ahead and stand to your feet in honor of the word of the Lord, if you will. Matthew chapter number one. And we're going to start reading in verse number 18 uh, down to verse number 25, actually. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of man, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth his son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment, this time, this opportunity that we have, Lord, to hear the spirit of the Lord speak to us today. God, we do understand, Lord God, the time and the season that we're in. And Father God, we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to make your name known to proclaim your goodness, the hope of the world, Jesus. You are the bright and morning star. You are the essence of purity, holiness, truth, joy, peace, all that the human race need and desire. Father, it is in you through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as I speak this morning, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and enable me, Lord, to speak, Lord God, uh, in a way, God, that your word, your will, your way, and what you want to say will be communicated to your people without interruption. Father, we thank you for this moment and this opportunity. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. We're kicking off our series, uh, our Christmas series. The series is called Christmas Is. And so we'll be looking at a few characteristics uh, for the next couple of weeks, uh, kind of describing what Christmas is all about. And, and for some of us who may have studied, um, some of you may not know that, that if you do a real deep study of, Chris, of Christmas, it has some, some of its roots in paganism. Uh, but uh, obviously, uh, as we understand it and as we pursue Christian, uh, Christmas as Christians, we look at it as an opportunity uh, really to showcase uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, how many know that the world needs a savior today? And now y'all gonna have to help me today. If y'all want me to preach, y'all gonna have to respond. How many know that the world need a savior today? Jesus is the answer, he is the reason, and Jesus is salvation. One of the things that often, and this is something that we all have to guard against, um, but there are cliches that we tend to say. And one of the cliches that we say around this time of year is that Jesus is the reason for the season. Now, how many of you have heard that or even said that yourself? And for us, we understand that that is really the case. 
But how many know that it needs to be a step above just saying that Jesus is the reason for the season? How many know that we got to demonstrate that Jesus is the reason for the season? Because that is how we distinguish ourselves. That is how that we don't get caught up in the commercialism of, of, of Christmas when everybody is just all about uh, the toys and the Christmas tree, and I enjoy all those things. But I like to call this time of year really a freebie for us. Everybody say freebie. And, and what I simply mean is Christmas is oriented around uh, biblical issues. And so even people who don't really know Christ, uh, who are not necessarily saved, they see that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. And how many know this is a marvelous and extraordinary opportunity that we have to share Christ? Uh, one of the things, when you study the Bible, the Apostle Paul, who was really a great, uh, a great apostle, just a great man of God, just an extraordinary leader. But one of the things that we see that the Apostle Paul was really, really good at, and that was he was really good at using his platform. He was really good at engaging people where they are. Paul said this, that I have become all things to all men that I may save some. How many know that we need to be thinking about saving some? Uh, somebody said earlier that, that we cannot lose our focus. So in all the trappings and in all the joy uh, of the season, we don't want to lose our focus. We want to make sure that we're maximizing all of the potential that we have to glorify Christ and to make his son known. And so the goal is, at least in this message, is to really prepare us for ministry in this season. Now, some of the things that I'll talk about this morning are some of them many of you already know already. But really, what I really want to do is I want to give us a fresh perspective, a fresh perspective on why do we need a Savior? If somebody came to you, how many of you believe that preparation is important? Let me ask you another question. How many of you have been sharing your faith already this holiday season? How many of you have talked to somebody about Jesus? I see two few hands that are up. If somebody were to ask you the question, why do I need a Savior? You know, there's a lot of people that are around today that they really don't believe, they don't really think that they need a Savior. They think that they are sufficient. They think that they're okay. How many know people like that? And the Bible says, how would they know unless somebody preaches to them and let them know that they are in a lost condition and that they need a Savior? We need to pray that the Holy Spirit, that God would awaken the hearts and minds of people, that they might know that they need a Savior. And you need to be the one to step in there and be able to articulate why you believe what you believe. And I'm not just talking about just a couple things that you heard in the by and by, but I'm talking about really being prepared to minister, being prayed up, being, uh, uh, being aware of the God moments. How many know that there's a lot of God moments happening every day? God moments. What I mean is that, that there are moments that, that sometimes we get so caught up that we miss those moments. We miss those opportunities. And, and somebody was desperate. Somebody was on the brink. Somebody is, they don't know what's going to, you know, how they're going to make it. They don't under, they, they're, they, they see all the terrorism. And they see all this stuff is going around. And do you not see all the people, that, that, that the faces of people who are in fear? They are afraid. They don't really know. And you know what happens when people start fearing? It, it changes everything. You make irrational decisions, you're being totally led by your emotions. But how many know that we're not going to be led by emotions? We're going to be led by the Spirit of God. The Bible said those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So I want to awaken you this morning to understand that Christmas is much deeper, at least from a Christian perspective. Now, I want to underscore that. We're talking about it from a Christian perspective. It's much deeper than simply getting the holiday over. It is much deeper than that. This is a, a season about our Savior. How many know that Christmas is really a love story? How many of you like love stories? <laughs> Christmas is really the greatest love story that was ever told. That's why the Bible called it good news. How many know that when you present it, you ought to present it like it's good news? You shouldn't be preaching the gospel mad at folk. Come on, somebody. 
You see me preaching the gospel, yelling at people because they ain't acting right. Come on, somebody. Y'all not to be preaching the gospel with a chip on your shoulder. You need to be led by the Spirit, and you need to be led by the love of Jesus. How many know that Jesus compelled men to come? He compelled them because he was compassionate, because, he had, because it was a story about love. So why do we need this Savior? Let's kind of digest some of this a little bit this morning. Why do we need a Savior? Number one, this is, this is a shocker, because all of us have sinned. Is there anybody in the room? I just want to make sure. I have to ask the question. Is there anybody here who maybe think that they never sinned? Good. We, we, we're doing really well today. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, verse, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 uh, to 12 says this. There is none righteous, no, not one. I know there are some folks that think that they don't need a Savior. They think that they are righteous. But how many know the Bible says there are none righteous? No, not one. There is none who seeks after God. Now hear this. As much as you may think that you seek after God, you don't seek after him enough. Now you hear what I'm saying this morning. He said, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. So when we're communicating the good news of the gospel to people this Christmas season, we need to communicate to them that, that you are a sinner. Because there are many people who think, who measure themselves by themselves, and they think, or by, you know, what I mean by that is, how many know that we have a tendency to measure ourselves against somebody else's sin? But how many know the standard is not people, the standard is God? And how many know God is perfect? And so every one of us is sin. In other words, there was no one that will ever meet God's moral standard of perfection. No one. No one could ever do it on their own apart from Jesus Christ. Romans 8.22, I like this verse. It says this. It says, for we know that the whole creation, everybody say the whole. The whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. How many of you see that the whole creation is, is moaning and groaning today? How many know just a couple of weeks ago they were moaning and groaning in Paris? Are you hearing what I'm saying? They don't really understand what's happening. How many know that pain, sickness, death, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, wars, terrorism, violence, racism, sexism, hate, murder, Rape. All of this is as a result of sin. How many know that man can't fix it? Only Jesus can fix it. The politics, how many know there's a lot of folks that are believing and are trusting? They're believing that Washington somehow is going to fix all the problems. If you've been living long enough, you understand just a little bit about politics. <laughs> you know Washington ain't going to really help you. How many know that Jesus is the answer? All of creation, the whole world is in sin. And this happened through that, that act, that incident that happened in the garden so many, years, so many, many, many years ago. Through Adam, the Bible says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, by one man, isn't that amazing? One man, sin came into the world by Adam. Every person that is walking on the planet today is infected with sin because of one man, Adam. And thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. How many know that we are sinners by default? Psalm 51.5 says this. This is David. David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. How many parents have ever taught your kid to smack and beat up other kids? But they do it, don't they? Because they're born, we've all been born in this sin. This is the condition of the world. So we need a Savior because we're, we're born in sin. We need a Savior because the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How many know the wages mean payment? That every time there's an act of disobedience to God, how many know that there's always a consequence? How many know consequences have sin? Consequ- I'm sorry, sin has consequences. Y'all get what I'm saying? Thank you. Y'all should have corrected me. That's why, that's why I know some of y'all ain't paying attention. You just said, hold up, pastor. I know sin has consequences. And so every time we sin against God, how many know that, that, that there's going to be something to be paid? Something dies. How many know that when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't die right away physically, although eventually it caught up to them. You hear what I'm saying? The wages of sin is death. And that ought to really encourage some of us as believers. How many know that just because you're a believer, how many know that you reap what you sow too? I better keep going because I don't want to stay in the Christmas spirit. All right. Why do, we, why do we need a Savior? Because how many know God will punish sin? Now, I have to do this, so just stay with me. God will punish sin. Matthew 25, 46 says, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. How many know the wrath and the judgment of God is coming? The wrath and the judgment of God is coming. This ought to be served as an inspiration. How many of you have people and friends and folks that you know and love that you know they're not a Christian? Can, can I show a hand? Let me see your hand. You got neighbors, you got friends. How many of you believe that the judgment of God is coming? Then this needs to compel us to, Lord, 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 use me. Because the wrath of God, God, is, God has to punish sin because he's a just God. He's a holy God. He is a righteous God. Revelation 20:15. I know they don't like to preach this nowadays, and but but I'm going to preach it this morning because it's in the Word. Revelation 20:15 says that anyone not found written in the book of life, talking about those who haven't given his life to Christ, anyone who is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I know some folks want to argue about whether or not fire is eternal and whether or not how you know and all of that. I, don't, I, don't, I know this. I don't want to be there. It, it ain't good. This is what awaits everyone who have not received Christ as Savior. So, this, so I want to serve as, I want this message to serve kind of as a, as a wake up. Because how many know that we can lose our focus and just forget that, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are dead men walking around us every day. Dead men and women walking around us every day, and we just ride right on by them coming to church to get our praise on or whatever we come to do. Not understanding that there's, that there's a moment and that God has assigned us as those who have been washed in his blood to preach the good news of the gospel because judgment is coming. And in some ways, it's already started. Why do we need a savior? Because by the deeds of the law, hear this, no flesh can be justified. Romans 3.20 says this. I like this verse. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, in other words, by your good works. Here's, here's a problem with a lot of folks. A lot of folks think that they're good enough that if they give a lot of money to the poor. Let me, can I say this? You can give tons of money to the poor. You can feed the hungry. You can bless people. You can take in somebody who, who is homeless. You can give to the poor, but if you don't get the sin problem fixed, you are not fixed. Because if righteousness can come by your good works, then why on earth did Jesus die? Come on, church. If if righteousness can come, if I can work my way into heaven, what was the purpose of Jesus bleeding and coming down in the incarnation, the God-man coming down to save me? Why did he do all of that if I can just be good enough and somehow save myself? How many know it ain't going to happen? It cannot happen. How many know Jesus is the reason? He's the way, he's the way to salvation. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says this. For by grace you have been saved, through faith and that not of yourselves. <laughs> I marvel how people 
read that verse, and Christians sometimes, they, you know, we, we can see the verse clearly says that by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. But yet sometimes we fall into this thing that, that even though, I, you know, I, I, I didn't save myself, I somehow got to keep myself, which is another lie of the, of the enemy, doctrine of demons. You can't keep yourself. Oh, you're only kept by the blood of Jesus. You are kept through faith in Christ. Do you hear me? It's a gift. Everybody say gift. Gift means I gave it to you. No strings attached. Just believe me. Just receive me. I mean, no, that is good news. You mean, Pastor Gary, I, I, I don't have to work my way in? You mean I don't have to be really, 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 really good and do it right all the time? Praise God that we don't have to do it right all the time because many of us have been blowing it. But by grace you have been saved. This is good news. Through faith, not of works. So you can't even brag about it when you get right with God. You can't even go and say, man, man, I'm bad. This is why Christians ought to be humble. We ought to be humble when we see somebody who are not walking with God. We ought not be walking around all holy, then thou, like, you know, you got it all. You only got it all together by the grace of God. If it were not for the grace of God, you'd be just as messed up as the other person who don't know Jesus. Come on, somebody. Come on. Uh. See, the good news is about Christ. How many know that Christ bails us out? They got this thing in, 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 in police terms and in the legal system called a, a bail bondsman. How many ever heard of a bail bondsman? How many know that, that Jesus bails us out? Hallelujah. He bails out free of charge don't, and don't even charge you anything. How many know that is good news this holiday season? Now watch this now. So let, let's dig a little bit deeper. So what qualifies Jesus to be Savior? Of all, what qualifies him? So if someone were to come to you in a theological way or in just an ordinary way and say to you, well, can you explain to me what qualifies Jesus uh, to be Savior of all? I mean, uh, Jesus was just another man, right? I mean, he did good. Uh, He blessed people. I mean, he did a few miracles, but... I'm sure he's not probably the only person that ever did something like that. Uh, you know, uh, why, why, what qualifies? Can you articulate if somebody came to you this Christmas season? Because I know you're going to be talking about Jesus this Christmas season. I know you're going to find somebody. I, be, I speak that over your life. You're going to preach. If you have to listen to this sermon over and over again to write down the verses, I want you to study because I want you to be prepared. I, don't, I, want, to, I want you, for some of us who've been saved for a while, you know this stuff, but how many know a refresher is a good thing sometimes? And don't tell me how much you know. I always say that, but tell me how much are you doing. Until you're doing it, you don't know nothing yet. I'm going to clap myself. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Doers. So if you know the word, if you know all the scriptures, you can sit down and quote, but you ain't saying nothing, what's the use? You're just a puffed up, theological, educated person who ain't making a difference. Y'all didn't like that, did you? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So here we go. So, so what qualifies Jesus? Well, look at Matthew. Uh, look at the Matthew. We're, we're in Matthew chapter number one, verses uh, uh, let's just start looking at verse number 20 in Matthew chapter 1. But while he brought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of man, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the what? The Holy Spirit. Let's go a step further. Jump on down to verse number 23. It says, behold, the virgin shall be with child mm, 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 mm. and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, hear this. This is so important. Are you still listening? Say amen. I almost feel like I want to get everybody to stand up, but I ain't going to do that. But I just, just promise me you don't listen. You listen, say amen. See, the virgin birth, see, Jesus was not the son of Adam. See, the sin is passed down through the seed, through the father. Jesus, see, watch this now. So, in Adam, all sin. Every man who's on the planet, whoever walked the planet, 
every man, woman, boy, girl, and even all of creation has sinned. Because of Adam's sin, all of us are sinners. Well, I didn't do what Adam did. Don't matter. You're a sinner. By default. Everybody say by default. All except one man. <laughs> All except one, and his name is who? Come on, say it nice and loud. Jesus is not the son of Adam, but Jesus is the son of God. Now watch. Now watch this now. This is the problem because there are some folk who get so educated that they want to try to diminish the virgin birth. Let me tell you something. If you try to flirt with diminish the virgin birth, you de- let me tell you something. You destroy the core of our faith. So you see, watch this. See, in Genesis 3.15, it says this. This is God. How many know God had you in mind a long time ago? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Even when Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, God said, oh, I got a plan to get them back. I I can't leave them there. I got a plan. Way back then, watch this. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That was a veiled reference to the virgin birth. Now watch this. So the virgin birth, in the virgin birth, circumvented, the transmission of the sin nature and allowed the eternal God to become the perfect man. That is what we call incarnation. Are are y'all hearing that? So Jesus is the God-man. And because God overshadowed Mary, that's why we call it the the, the miraculous conception. Because it's never happened before. How many know nobody can get pregnant without some some physical act seed. This was miraculous. It was Holy Spirit. Why? Because God needed a perfect, everybody say perfect. He needed a perfect sacrifice to cover for our sin. How many know that if Jesus would have been born the son of Adam, he couldn't atone for my sin? You know why? Because he would have been a sinner. Are y'all still with me? But because of the virgin birth, the miraculous conception God circumvented the natural process and he intercepted the natural thing, the way things are done and ushered in himself through Jesus Christ so then that he can save us. So watch this. The virgin birth is critical. I mean, I'm talking like major. And there are some folks, do you not believe that there are some folks in some churches and some, some of these more liberal places there, well, you know, they're doubting the virgin birth and they're saying that there's no way that can happen? How many know the devil is alive? That's a doctrine of demons. See, now watch this. Now, why does Satan want you to diminish? Why does why do, why do he want you to understand the virgin birth? Watch this, church. Because he knows, he wants you to think that Jesus was just an ordinary man like everybody else. How many know he wasn't an ordinary man like everybody else? He's the incarnate God in flesh. You see? See, no virgin birth would mean that Jesus is a sinner. But how many know the virgin birth verified, and that was God's way of saying, I'm going to come down myself through my son Jesus to get you out of the mess that you're in. And the devil wants you to sit back and try to say or, or think that, that, you know, Jesus was just like a, he was an ordinary man like everybody. The devil is a liar. Jesus is God in flesh. He is no ordinary man. He is God in flesh, God incarnate. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because of the virgin birth. Now, look at this, look, let's look at this verse, 1 Timothy 4.1. I want, I want you to see how the enemy works. And then we're going to start wrapping this thing down. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. How many know we're living in that season? Some of y'all don't know. Come on, church. We're living right now in a time where people who say they're Christians, I mean, mean, I'm sitting there talking to a brother the other day. I'm looking at him like, brother, what done happened to you? Too much learning has made you mad. I mean, when you start denying the basic, how many know the virgin birth is a basic tenet of the faith? 
basic. And if you don't understand the virgin birth and the importance of it, you don't understand who you are. Now watch. The Bible says now, now the, the, the Spirit expresses says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed, look at this church, to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What is the doctrine of demons? Every doctrine of a demon, watch this, every doctrine of demon point men away from Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Every doctrine of the demon, it always leads people away from, from Christ to some other way. 2 Timothy 4, 3 says this, For the time will come, and I will say the time is now is, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Oh, how many of you have ever heard, heard of this? It doesn't matter what you believe. Just love everybody. Respect people. Respect all religions. You know, and then sometimes it even comes from the mouth of those who are in our higher authorities. I'll just leave it there. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. How many know God cares about doctrine? What you believe is important. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let the devil hoodwink you. Don't let the devil think, well, man, all, all, as long as you are, are good, as long as you are nice, as long as you respect everybody, you know, you can believe Jesus and I can believe Allah and you can believe Buddha and, and somehow we all going to get there in the, that, that, that's a doctrine of hell. It's a deceiving spirit. Uh, y'all hear what I'm saying this morning? But watch it. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is why. This is why I tell you all the time as a church. I said you all to study, study, study. Read your Bible. Don't you come to church every Sunday and just listen to me preach. You better go back home, open that book up, and read it for yourself. Because if you don't, I'm gonna tell you something. Because the squeeze is on. No longer will you be able to get away with. I don't know it. I don't know enough Bible and be comfortable with it. I am convinced this is why we don't have more folks showing up for Wednesday night study because they don't think they really need it. But watch what happens when the devil starts squeezing, people are going to start coming. How many know you got to study to show yourself approved? You got to study, you got to dig down deep, you got to get along with other believers. How many know that God didn't make you an island unto yourself? If you don't just want to be by yourself, then pray. Ask God to take you home. In fact, come to the altar. I pray with you at the end. If it's all about I just want to be by myself and I don't want to listen, I don't want to affect change. Let me tell you something. We are not, this is for real. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? This is for real. We're talking about doctrines of demons. So for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Don't want to hear no doctrine, man. Don't, I don't want to preach all that stuff. Don't be telling me about Doctrine, man, just, just tell me about love. Tell me about grace. Tell me about how much I can sin and God will just forgive me. Tell me about how I can go to the club and get drunk and party and do everything I want to do and fornicate and come back to church and raise my hand and God's okay with it. Tell me that. Tell me I can get drunk and it's okay. Tell me I can beat up my wife. Tell me it's okay. Y'all hear? This is the kind of doctrine. Now, I say that because it's a doctrine of demons. This is what the devil is teaching people. This is why people have no conscience. They can come into church, and then, then the leaders are not preaching truth. They stand up and they placate to the crowd because it's what the crowd want to hear. I'll die first, happy man, before, listen to me, before you come in here and I start preaching what you want to hear. I'm going to preach what he gives me in his word. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. No, I'm not even really sorry. I just feel bad for you. Because I know who I am. So I will never compromise truth under any circumstance. I have to do this. You follow? Paul says, I'm compelled. Paul says, I have to do this. For the time will not come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desire. There it is. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers according to their own lust. How I many you know that's what they're doing, ain't they? That's what they're doing. It's a doctrine of demon. Now, 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 watch this. Now, I want you, this is a statement that God gave me yesterday. Listen to this. Jesus didn't die so that men can believe whatever they want as a means to salvation. 
that will be futile seeing that man was in that condition already. Jesus died to show that he is the way. Did you get that? It's not about if Jesus, Jesus did not die so that we can all believe what we want to believe. A doctrine of demons. No, Jesus died to point men to him saying that he said, now, now let's go, let's, let's, let's keep going, let's, let's go. Oh, gosh, I'm all over the place. But, 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 but understand that, 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 that Jesus died to point men to him. And there is no sin in him. He's the perfect sacrifice. So he qualified. Everybody say qualified. He qualified to take care of my sin. You want your sin taken care of. You want to be delivered. You want peace. You want righteousness. Turn to Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says this. I'm going to give you a couple of verses and i got to run. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Get it? No sin. 1 John 3.5. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. How many know he's qualified? And he's God in flesh. John 1.1. 1, 1. Everybody know that verse? You don't even have to go to theological school. You know that verse. In the beginning was the Word. The Word meaning Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Watch this. And the Word. So he can't be an ordinary man. Jesus is God in flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. The expressed image of the invisible God. And this distinguishes him from every, this is why when you preach Jesus, you can preach with authority. You can preach with boldness. Because your Jesus is not just a man. He is God in flesh. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Some of y'all to clap your hands right now and be happy about it. God came down. He came down. He came down. Hallelujah. And then Jesus, Jesus said something really crazy. Y'all ready? We're going to close with this. Y'all ready? Jesus said this in John 14, 6. Every time I say this verse, there's always some, you know, there's always this kind of resistance I feel in the spirit realm. Because I know a lot of devils get mad. You ever want to see a devil get mad? How many know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places? So when you see people tripping, when you see people getting mad, it's a spirit. Y'all hear what I'm saying? A spirit. Can I ask you a question? What spirit are you being controlled by this morning? Just a thought. It's a spirit. Jesus said this. And, and here's what I know. And I know that every time that spirit of the world hears this, man, people get ready, man. They start calling you all kind of, you are a bigot. How can you say that your Jesus is the only way? Because he said he was. He's God in flesh. Ain't but one God. <laughs> Ain't but one God. And how many know that God, Jehovah God, determines the way? He set the rules. He set the conditions. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Wow. He, he, that, that, I mean, that was tough enough. But then he takes a step further. Just in case you didn't catch it the first time. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Arrogant. Arrogant. You got to be kidding. What? I mean, you kidding me. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, not many ways, not a couple of ways, not multiple ways. He said, I am the way, the way. See, many want to promote today. How many know the doctrine of demons today tell people, man, there's all kind of ways. Don't believe that. It ain't just one way. Jesus said, I am the way. Why? Because he's God in flesh. Ain't but one God. He's it. Jesus was speaking of heaven. He said, I'm the way. He's no other, look, no other mention of other ways. In other words, he said, I'm the way. He said, if you want to get to heaven, if you want eternal life, if you want to know God, I'm it. 
Ain't no other way. Are you afraid to tell people that? Then if you are, you've been intimidated by a demon. <sighs> he said, the way and the truth. Everybody say truth. Some folks say today there's no absolute truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. If you want to know truth, if you want to know the reason of all things, if you want to know the reason of life, if you want to fully understand what is and what ain't, if you want knowledge, understanding, wisdom, if you really want to know, because there are so many lies in the world, there are so many people you don't know who to trust. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. People are lying all over the place. Jesus said, I'm the way and I'm the truth. He said, I'm truth. He embodies truth. Holy, righteous, pure truth. I'm the way and I'm the truth. And he said, I'm the life. Life. I'm eternal life. Why do people want to commit suicide sometimes? Why do people want to give up on life? Because they feel like, they feel like there's nowhere else to go. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about. When a person comes to it at the end of their life and they feel like, I don't want to continue. I don't want to go anywhere. It's, it's because they don't, under, they, they don't really understand. They're not understanding and seeing that, that there's something greater. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm life. I'm eternal life. I'm the afterlife. I'm the life that everybody wants, even if the devil tricks them into thinking they don't want me. Jesus is saying, I'm it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, and no one can get to the Father except by me. That's it. He made no other provision. There is no other provision. That, that reference verse I gave you in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the enmity that God said he was going to intercept, this is his God's plan all along. Man is in a tough place. Man is in a bad place. But how many know they need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. That's God's provision, and there is no other way to do it. Acts 4.12, there is no, there, uh, nor is there salvation in any other. How many of you believe the Bible? I mean, I'm just saying, this is what the Bible, am I, am I, am I lying? Did the Bible say what I'm saying? It says, there is no salvation in any other. I mean, call it bias, call it bigotry, call it what you want. But sometimes, how many know truth will offend people sometimes, and it's okay? You know the truth, and the truth will do what? You follow me? No truth, no freedom. He can come lie to you all he wants to, ladies, and tell you how all these lies and all these lines. No truth, no freedom. In conclusion, John 3, 16. We're going to end with this. John 3, 16. And verse 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Christmas is about God's love. When you love people, you tell them the what? If I'm in trouble and you lie to me, you don't love me. Come on, parents. We got to tell our kids the what? truth. God sent his son because he has mad love for us. Mad love. Christmas is about a a passionate story of God's pursuit of humanity. This is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about his only begotten son. It's about God seeing the condition that we were in and saying, you know, I'm going to come. Think about this church, because I don't think we think about it enough. The God who was self-sufficient don't need anything. Don't need anything. That he came down off of his throne and subject himself to us just so that he can save us. What humility, what love, what grace. It is unfathomable. It's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Christmas, how many know God has many sons, but only one Savior? 
many sons, one Savior. It's Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about believing and receiving. Jesus said, if you believe, that means receive. We believe, we receive in him, you have salvation. It's not about works, it's about grace. Everybody say grace. Christmas is about salvation and not condemnation. How many know when Jesus came into the world, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world? You know what I said earlier at the onset of the message? That, that when you preach it, and you're preaching the good news of the gospel, you shouldn't be preaching mad about it. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Remember one time the disciples, that one time when people weren't acting right, and the disciples said, Lord, y'all just call fire down from heaven and just burn them up. And Jesus said, oh, stop. You don't know what kind of spirit you have. That's not what I'm about. Christmas is about salvation and not condemnation. Preach salvation and watch God save. Amen. Y'all receive that. Give God a praise clap if you received that this morning. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed as the ushers prepare for communion. It's easy to assume every week that everybody in this room is saved because we're here. You come here every week. I don't know the hearts of you all who are here today, but I know this. God knows. God knows your heart. God knows where you are. He understands and he knows. We said Christmas is about salvation. Simply, Christmas is about Christ. It's about God's love to save a broken world. You're sitting here this morning you don't know him as your savior. Don't tell me how much you've been coming to church. Don't tell me how you grew up in church. Don't tell me that you're a Catholic. Don't tell me that you're a Lutheran. Don't tell me that you're Presbyterian. Don't tell me that you're Baptist. Have you embraced Christ as your savior? Have you embraced Christ? You're sitting here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I don't want pieces of my life anymore. I want to give my whole, I want to immerse my whole life into Christ. And maybe for you, that's what you need to do. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe you are saved, but perhaps you're not fully surrendered. This altar call is for you too. Say, Lord, I want to be fully surrendered. Maybe you're young people, you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, you know, I pulled the wool over some folks' eyes. But how do you know you can't pull the wool over God's eyes? I want to open up the altar before we take communion to anyone who wants to, one, give their life to Christ, or two, say, you know what? I'm all in. Everybody knows what all in means. That means that no hesitation, no reservation, but I'm going to surrender every corner of my life. I'm going to expose myself to God. If that's you this morning, this is a matter truly of life and death. If that's you this morning and you say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me, then I want to open the altar up for you right now. Is there one? You can come to the altar. You can pray. Listen to the Holy Spirit. If you're not fully surrendered, I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you right now saying, you're half-stepping. You're half-stepping. You've been half-stepping for a long time now. God is calling you to a deeper place. Calling you to a deeper place. That's you this morning. Come go deeper. Let's make it, let's go all in. Let's go all in. Because ain't nothing else out there going to help us. Ain't nothing else out there that's going to love us like him. Nothing. Let's go all in today. Say, Pastor Bill, I'm ready to go all in today. That's you this morning. One more time. Let's come up to the altar.
One of the things that they did and that Jesus instructed one of the institutions of our Christian faith is communion. It was something that was instituted by Christ himself. He says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This is a tenet of our faith along with baptism. It's the way that we express our trust and our love and our devotion to God. And it's also a way for us to commune with him in a very fresh way. So if you had, maybe you've had a rough time, maybe you've been just, uh, you've been captive by sin lately. Maybe some things have just overcome your emotions and all of that. Then I just want you to take a moment and just ask God to forgive you before you take communion. Communion is another way to just kind of uh, purify ourselves spiritually. It's kind of like we're reconnecting with Jesus, just getting a fresh start. Some of you just feel like in your spirit, I just need a fresh start today. Let's just take a moment, as the scripture says, before we take communion and let's examine ourselves. Let's examine ourselves. Just give this sin over to him. Don't try to hold on to it. Just confess it. Confess it. Confess it to him. He loves you. He's not your enemy. He loves you. He loves you. 